Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yes, yes, yes. Glad to have you back around. Of course, I'm Kay. I got my boy Kev in the building, and this is the Biscayne Breakdown. First of all, Kev, you know, first of all, a must. I got to ask, how you doing, man? I'm always good, man. I'm always live and in, in tune, live in effect from Biscayne Breakdown, man. I'm always glad to be here. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a blessing. New year. I'm pretty sure, well, this is your first one of the year. I'm not mistaken, so yeah, man. Yeah, man. First, first best break of the year. Glad to be here. Let's get it popping, man. I mean, other than the fact that Dean ain't here, shout out to him. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to start it off. Of course, like you know, what I mean, one of the homies, one of the classic, one of the fundamentalists, one of the guys that I first began to interact with when I first started working with he versus the world. Um, we got cool, been kind of cool ever since. I ain't saying we text every day or nothing like that, but I can holler at my man Kev anytime. Um, and it's always some good rap and likewise. But anyway, with yeah. that being said, man, let's dive right into this heat stuff, man. Um, the Miami Heat are along a bit of a West Coast swing. Um, nothing crazy. They'll actually be back at the crib in the next week or so. But they are finishing out, you know, a couple of things that's been going on out on the West Coast. I'm sure they talked about the Jazz game um, on the main pod within the last several days. So we won't spend too much time there. But immediately following the Jazz game, um, they spent the night in LA for a couple of nights and that included two trips to uh crypto 
And in those two trips to crypto, of course, they didn't play the same team, which wouldn't be unusual in today's NBA because we know we got those home at home, those home and away sets that happen. Um, this was a classic two-game stand in crypto, which means that the Miami Heat faced off against the LA Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, unfortunately for the Miami Heat, they weren't able to, you know, take down the LA Clippers. And there are a lot of opinions to go around on that. They were without Jimmy Butler, without a couple of other guys. Um, and they were able to take down the LA Lakers. So since, you know, we're coming to you live on Thursday evening here, sure when you'll get this a little later on, um, we will really spend a lot of time on the Lakers game. But what are your thoughts on the Clippers loss, first of all, Kev? Man, it was one of them games where I feel like they fought hard for about as long as they could. And then in that third, fourth quarter, they kind of just ran out of gas and the offense just went to nothing. And the Clippers defense, you got to give them some credit too because Paul George, Kawhi, they did their thing too. And their offense, they've been one of the hotter teams in the league the past, what, month and a half, if you want to give it that. So it was one of them games. I feel like it kind of happened like that last year a little bit too. We were in that game all the way until the very end. They hit some tough shots last year. But to me, it was kind of just that, honestly. Like our offense just stalled out. Couldn't get any good quality possessions like that for the most part. Defense kind of, you know, suffered because of that. You know what I'm saying? And so Clippers took advantage, and they really didn't look back in that fourth quarter. And they just honestly put their foot on the gas and didn't look back. Absolutely, man. I think you alluded to a couple of very important things there. First of all is exactly how well the Clippers have been playing over the last month or so. Um, since the James Harden situation went down, they had a couple of games to get themselves acclimated. Um, they've had their guys healthy for the most of it. Kawhi Leonard has actually played a ton of ball this year, surprisingly enough. Um, you know, and they've had their guys in. They found a way to, you know, not I'm not going to say get the absolute best out of Russ, but get good enough out of Russ where it's actually helping them um, from a reserve role. They found a way to basically, man, um, acclimate themselves with a roster that includes four certain Hall of Famers. And you have to do nothing but applaud them specifically as far as the Miami Heat game goes, and I'm not going to step on your toes because I'm not going to mention any names, but you said it there too, Kev, which you often do. The Clippers find easy ways to score, and that's on top of the fact that they can go and get it done the hard way. Now, mind you, I said four Hall of Famers and four perimeter Hall of Famers, not like one or two of them are bigs or Shaq or a guy that got to operate from the high post within. We're talking about four dudes who can absolutely get busy with the rock in their hand from the three-point line to the cup at any given moment. Now, of course, when you're looking at a guy like Russell Westbrook, he isn't the greatest shooter, but you're still not going to at least, you know, faint at him if he out there. Eventually, you might walk off from him if he ain't got it, but you know he could beat you if he get it going. So I said that to say, even with all that, though, they were able to get to the free throw line at will. I mean, it's... You can say what you want about the whistle and what you what you want about the guys that were on the other side, as I mentioned, four future Hall of Famers. But they were able to get to the free throw line when they wanted to. Um, and that basically contributed to helping them stay in rhythm. That made them unafraid to attack the Miami Heat when they wanted to. That made the Miami Heat kind of tentative because they hear the whistle, too, even though you got to play through that. Um, and that whole situation just led to them being able to overwhelm the Miami Heat. And as you mentioned, um, the Miami Heat weren't able to get what they wanted to on offense, and that led to what we saw as a stagnation of offense, something that has been an issue, um, as I mentioned across the last couple of seasons working here at Heat versus the World, since you've heard me, it's happened in different ways, and it's even happening or manifesting itself in a different way this year. But the Miami Heat's issue is always going cold or being unable to find a bucket at the most inopportune time. And again, 
from year to year that isn't the same. So you have to give them credit there. Whatever the issue was last year, they try and go address it. But in addressing that issue, something else pop open. Now, they can be addressed, which is something we talk about time and time again on these situations, but we're not even going to do that right now. We're going to get there. Um, look, man, they took an L versus the Los Angeles Clippers, LA Clippers, sorry. Um, but, you know, that left them with an opportunity to bounce back. You know, they say the greatest thing after L is to get a dub and show people that you can get it done. Um, and that's exactly what they did on national TV on Wednesday night. And that's even after each and every single commentator, color and color analyst, or, you know, your favorite little talk ahead during a halftime show. That would be Michael Wilbon. That would be um, Stephen A. Smith. Um, you know, was Cheney on there? Who, who was the third person? It doesn't even matter. They thought that the, um, the L.A. Lakers was going to win the game, too. And needless to say, the Miami Heat came out and continued to do what they do. Um, what you got on the L.A. Lakers game and what did you most <laughs> from that win, Kev? I mean, it's it's corny and cliche to say, but it was genuinely a complete team effort, right? We all know every single player that plays scored over double figures, which is crazy to think about, right? I think my biggest thing is that one thing us Heat fans say for granted, bro, is that defensively, like if you really enjoy basketball, you will appreciate the Miami Heat defense. And honestly, I damn near am close. I've been thinking about this. I've been damn near close to comparing our defense the past few years since we got Jimmy to the prime Golden State Warriors offense. Like, I really think it's up there when it comes to just, like, from a pure basketball perspective. Like, the defense that we play, and I know – Not to cut yeah. you off, but are you yeah. talking about the ability to lock in and overwhelm a team we want to? Like, how them Warriors used to come out in that third period, and you knew it's like if we don't tie shoes up and we're staying this first five minutes, we cook, that type of thing? Yeah, I literally exactly that, right? It, to me, it's – not even just, of course, we play man on man, but last night we hit them with it. We hit the Lakers with a heavy dose of zone, heavy dose of zone. And I think we almost have, half the time only allowing, I think, 0.75 points per possession. And I ain't even no huge metrics guy, but I know if we ain't allowing y'all a point per possession on over half the game, we're going to win that game. Exactly. And I want to say we forced, I want to say almost double figure turnovers in the first quarter alone. I right. think it was like, uh, let me see. I can actually pull up the stats. It's, I think it was like 21 at halftime, actually. But let me go to the game um, box score here by quarter. If you look at the turnovers, there were three by Anthony Davis, two by LeBron, that's five, one by Austin Reeves, six, two by Cam Reddish, that's eight, um, and then two more by Jared Vanderbilt in the first quarter for a grand total of 10 turnovers. Ten. Yeah. 10 turnovers. I mean, that's crazy, right? And then, like I said, in the first half, I, I mean, you brought it up, so I got to just touch on it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the first half as a whole, bro, um, the Lakers pretty much gave the ball away. 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 turnovers in the first half. I mean, how many games are you going to win like that? Not too many, especially in this league where the talent level is at an all-time high, right? So to me, when again, when it when it comes to the Heat defense, it's a special, special work of art, bro. Like honestly, and to me, it's the intensity, it's the way that they lock in, it's the way they communicate, and more so importantly, it's the rotations, right? Because in the zone, obviously you're guarding an area, but the zone breaks down a lot. Like to me, if I'm a coach, I always think. If you want to break down the zone, the two best areas to do it are at the free throw line extended in the short corners. Those are the two weak spots in the zone. 
And Spo and his staff have just done a great job of being able to kind of hide that. And on top of that, get in the middle, just get in the middle, whether that's like you said, at the middle of the entire thing, which is the free throw line, or you yep. get in the middle of one side, which is the yep. short corner. Exactly. And on top of that, we all know when you go into zone, it's happened to us a few times over the past few years, but when you go into a zone, you're going to give up offensive rebounds and second chance opportunities. Last night against the Lakers team, that's pretty tall, led by, of course, Anthony Davis. We did a pretty good job of not allowing that to happen. Now, of course, Throughout the course of a game, we're playing against other talented teams. You're going to have your breakdowns. But as a whole, I just thought they did a wonderful job, bro. Like, and especially the two top guards at just communicating and knowing. Because that's one of my favorite things is when Spo will have one guy pick up full court. And then whoever whoever the first pass is, that's who takes it. The other guy takes it. And I love that. Like, that's just like basketball bliss, in my opinion. I love just really talking hoop like that, right, and seeing things like that because – it's just different. You don't see teams across the league doing it like us, bro. Like, if I'm just being honest, and that's man or zone too, because when Jimmy's in the lineup and we have other guys too, like, hey, what is fun is watch, hell is watched on defense too. Like, we just have dogs on that end of the floor, man. And so, especially too, because when you lock in on defense, that's when you can have the most fun on offense. Like, we've seen, we had the Kyle Lobb to Jaime. That was a big time play early in the game. Like, it'd be the little things like that that I feel like a lot of Heat fans take for granted. And we need to stop doing that because. The Miami Heat defense is a work of art, and you got to give Spo and his staff a lot of credit for that. But as a whole, as you mentioned, man, like this team, Duncan woke up in that fourth quarter. He was baking like a, like hell. K-Love, <laughs> I can't even say anything better about K-Love just because everybody always loves to knock the vets. They, they love to knock OG, shout out to him, about to get his jersey retired. They love to put smut on his name. But a lot of teams need vets like that. And, of course, OG didn't play that much in the back of his career. But what K-Love is doing, especially when Bam was out, was amazing, right? He just came in, did all the little things. He was fighting for boards. He was getting early, easy opportunities for transition last night. And that's a big thing, too, because for a team that and sometimes struggles in the half court to get those early transition opportunities, it speeds up your offense. It gives you more time to work in the shot clock. And in most, in some cases, you can – get easy mismatches too right because the defense is scrambling and rotating too with that too so i love what k love has brought to this team josh richardson hit some clutch timely shots throughout the course of the game yesterday and i mean i can't even give enough praise to bam right he he just he does what he wants to he's a monster jaime has some big time shots like that fadeaway over braun was nasty in, in the house that kobe built right coming back home getting a standing oh i can't forget about the let's go heat chance in crypto last night either that was you don't hear that too often. I'll be honest with you. I'm from the city. Like, you never hear things like that. So, shout out to the Heat fans. I was in attendance last night. And then lastly, Kyle Lowry. I mean, again, I know people never want to give Kalo his credit. I understand it. Trust me. But as I always tell y'all, he's never a liability. You can say whatever you want about him, but he's never a negative, impactful player on the court. He always does the little things to help the team win games. And, yes, I know he got a big contract. I know he's on the last year of it. Me personally, I always said the only knock I could have on him is I wish he would be a little bit more aggressive. And he was aggressive last night. And that opens up a lot of different things on our offense. So shout out to Kalo too, and just shout out to them because that was a big time win when they could have easily folded and they came out and handled business. I think that you 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 took a lot of things I was going to segue into. So applaud to you for that. You just made it easy. But I mean, you spoke about the Miami Heat's ability to positionally defend especially with that zone um and i was going to use that point specifically to go to kevin love um and just how big his impact is you mentioned the 
second chance rebounding opportunities that exist when you play a zone defense. And when you look at the way that Kevin Love attacked rebounds, like in that game against the Los Angeles Lakers, you, you have a good explanation or a good summary, along with what Bam does, of course, in the team rebounding. But Kevin Love's impact there um, is immense. And like you said, um, which is also a good segue to the other guy, I'm going to bring up the guy that you also brought up, his ability to get the ball out early. As soon as he grabbed the rebound, he's looking up court. Now, he's not going to make stupid passes on the regular, but he's looking up court to try to get the early break going, to try to get some early offense, get the Miami Heat out going and catch the defense before they can get back and get set. And that has to be the most important thing about Kyle Lowry too, bro. It's like it doesn't always look the same as it does with Kevin Love, but he is capable of those long passes and he does make those passes happen. But even if he doesn't, you see the little things he does, such as at the end of a at the end of an opposing possession, Kyle Lowry is literally rushing. I mean, most of the time watching, he's 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 like ref, come on. He's trying to increase the pace. Like if he's he's constantly looking, he's 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 being aggressive in his motion. And to your ending point, um, I mean the overall point there is like what why they're so essential is because they help maintain pace, which ultimately help alleviate the problem that I, you know, we both talked about and that I said happens in different ways every year, which is if you can get easy offense early before the defense is set, then you're kind of, you know, doing everything you can do to counter stagnation. So that's where him and, you know, Kevin Love and Kyle Lawyer are important there. But even deeper into your points, man, Kyle Lawyer is never a negative. When he's on the floor, there's a nine times out of 10 chance that he's doing something positive, whether that be swiping in, whether that be standing in, um, whether that be, you know, taking charges, whether that be, again, increasing that pace, whether that's telling somebody else where to be or what to do or how to do. Um, he's most of the time going to be an asset. And I said it this way. Maybe you expect more from a guy that's making $30 million offensively. And I do, too. I get that. But. My only knock on him, which is what I was trying to get to, was what you said. I just wish he would be a little bit more offensively aggressive, more consistently, because there are times where he showed you I can still come out here and get it done if I want to. Um, and in the most, you know, opportunistic times, such as when Jimmy is out, like against the Lakers, or there was a game early in the season where Bam was out. He showed you he can give you whatever you need. If you need me to make a couple big shots, bet, I got you. If you need me to make a few more shots, I bet, I got you. If you need me to, you know, stand in and get steals, I got you. If you need the littlest dude on the court to go and rebound the ball, I got you. Um, and those are the things that he did in the Lakers win, and those are certainly a part of what went into helping him win. Like you said, the zone defense was amazing. Um, they kept him off the glass with second chance opportunities, easy opportunities, forced him into turnovers. I mean, people can holler and cry and scream and prance across the ESPN airways talking about the Lakers collapse um, all they want to. But I know that the Miami Heat had a hand in forcing those turnovers that they threw. Um, so, you know, you definitely applaud them there, man. And then in the end, when they needed somebody to make shots, Tyler Hero, you know, typically is the guy that you're looking for to take those shots, segue. Um, but there was another guy that, you know, stepped up and, and made it happen, and that would be Duncan Robinson, 5'5". Five, five. Um, so you just look at all of that, and you say that's why the Miami Heat were able to leave L.A. victorious and in very, very convincing fashion without Jimmy Butler and a couple of more guys in the lineup, man. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say on that Lakers game? 
No, I'm ready to segue into this next topic because this this the okay. one right here. All right, all right. So I kind of like I kind of tip my hand a little bit um on purpose. Um, yeah, you look for Tyler Harrow to take those shots, even though you know that's what teams are for, and you know Duncan Robinson is capable. Um, I mean, I think his first couple of makes last night was probably two of the toughest shots that anybody had taken. One of them, he was taking on Christie and AD from the far side off a fader, off of a, a offensive rebound that came to him off a crazy bounce. So, I mean, you know, tough shots. But you expect a guy like Tyler Hero to step up there. And it just seems that um, since he's been back off an of injury, and that's basically only, you know, the, the sample size we're going to work with. So that's why I say it like that, not that it was or that it wasn't an issue or something to look at in other times. But it seems as though since he's come back off inner injury, um, he's fading a bit in the fourth quarter. And, you know, if you look at his games since, let me see, December 18th, he had 25 points total against Minnesota, but he finished with four points in the fourth quarter. If you look at the next game against Orlando, he finished with 28 points. And he finished the fourth quarter with three. I mean, we can go on and on. The Hawks in the next game. He did have nine points in that fourth quarter, but that was the anomaly. Because you look at the next game versus the 76ers, this is the Christmas Day game. He finished with zero points in the fourth quarter. And then, I mean, you could finish and go all the way to the Lakers game, of course, as I mentioned. But we'll just... Go one more game beyond the Christmas Day game. Um, San Francisco, of course, facing the Golden State Warriors. He would finish the fourth quarter with five points. But is that becoming of what you say that your cornerstone, your scoring guy, your guy that you're willing to bend your offensive system, and not that's either right or wrong, um, is that what you would call optimal performance or delivering what you need? Kev, how you feel about that? This has always kind of been one of my bigger issues with Tyler Hero is just because, as y'all heard me say a million different times between here and he versus the world, like, the issue is not even – it's more so that the shots that he takes are good shots for him because he's used to taking those shots. But at the end of the day, those are tough shots for a good majority of the NBA, right, when it comes to being in those situations, right? And it's, it's one thing – to be the leading scorer is one thing to be the focal point. It's a completely different ball game when you're asked to be a closer. That's why a lot of y'all favorite players out there, for the people that are listening, they're not closers like y'all think they are. They can close games in certain situations, but are they consistent closers? No. You know who's a consistent closer in my eyes on both ends of the floor is 22, is Timothy Buckets, right? Because he'll get steals, he'll get clutch blocks, he'll hit game winners. He's done it all from Chicago to Minnesota to Philly to, of course, now with us in the Heat uniform. But for Tyler, again, his biggest thing is that he relies on tough shots. He kind of reminds me of Philly Cheese, even though I think Philly Cheese was a little bit better when it comes to making tough shots and Deion Waiters because that was just his game. And he was, of course, stronger than Tyler, in my opinion. But because Tyler lacks that strength and he's settling for tough shots, he can't really get to a spot. Like, for instance, in that Clipper game, obviously, I know Paul George and Kawhi are some of the better defenders in the league. but like when Tyler was attacking them, they were just kind of like rubbing it off like it was nothing. Like he would come into the lane and they would just swipe it. And it was like, we're off to the races, right? Like they were just playing with him. And that's been one of my bigger things is just like 
a lot of the shots that Tyler takes, you can get those shots whenever you want to throughout the course of a game. You just can. So what are you doing to make life easy on yourself? You're not getting to the free throw line like that. You're not getting to the rim like that because those are getting sent back. So you have to rely on mid-range jumpers, which is one of the toughest jumpers in the game, and three-point jumpers, which, of course, everybody's taking nowadays. And when you're being asked to be the focal point of an offense on nights that Jimmy's out or even when Jimmy's playing sometimes, that life gets rough. That life gets rough, right? And so to me, it's always been that same thing, man. I want Tyler to get better. I'm never going to hate on my own players, but it's getting to a point with me where it's like I just – I'm not seeing it, right? When we're, we're asking this dude to take that leap and to be the, the next – the future of this next heat generation, whatever you want to call this, heat era, I'm not really seeing it from that perspective just because, again, you're living and dying by tough shots, man. Even with Bam, right? I love Bam's offensive progression that he's made, but a lot of them mid-range jumpers that he settles for, those are still tough shots. He's just starting to master it so it doesn't look as difficult, but those are tough shots for 99% of the NBA. Please do not get it misconstrued. Bam has just worked on it like hell. And Tyler, the same thing, and that's why I think my last point while I'm playing here, I know I've been rambling, I think it's been a blessing and a curse for the Heat, Pat Riley, whoever, that have instilled that confidence in Tyler because it's like, is he capable of being a really good player? Yeah, he already is, right? I'm not questioning that. But again, it's one thing to be a really good player, and it's a complete other thing to be a franchise player. And Spo and his staff have done a great job of allowing Tyler to take the shots that he's most comfortable taking. But again, man, those are tough shots. It always looks good when it's going in, but on nights like last night in the past few games, we see, right? Those are tough shots, man. So again, my biggest thing is that he just has to find a way to get easier looks for himself. And that's just the biggest thing, man. It, it really comes down to that for me. And that's where I'll, I'll land my plane at. Well, I mean, since you landed the plane, Kev, I think I'll, you know, take it for a spin. Nah, I mean, basically, bro, I agree with you. And Tyler's offense is so hard. I've long said that his superpower is his ability to get winky shots off of any platform and the defense not affect him. But if you... Excuse me. If you look at his scoring totals since he came back, you know, you would look at his numbers and you'll be like, OK, he's good. 25, 28, 30, 22, 26, 25. Yeah, he had 12 against the Clippers and then he finished against the Lakers with 21. But then if you look at his shot attempts, he scored 25 on 18 field goal attempts. He scored 28 on 17 field goal attempts. He scored 30 on 21 field goal attempts. He scored 22 on 25 field goal attempts. He scored 26 on 18 field goal attempts. He scored 25 on 22 field goal attempts. He scored 12 on 13 field goal attempts. He scored 21 on 19 field goal attempts. And I mean, nobody's supposed to be perfect. Nobody's supposed to be perfect. But you're looking at his first couple of games at over 50, you know, over 50%, as high as 58% against Orlando, of course. But then you're looking at a couple of games where he's at 40% or below. And of course, we're still speaking about those same struggles that have occurred in the fourth quarter, um, you speak towards the difficulty of shot. It's not something that you can depend on as a franchise player because it isn't consistent. It's something you can depend on as a star player or a really good player, as you mentioned, because when it's good, it's good. And he don't mind taking them. And if you got him take enough, he's going to eventually give you them numbers. But when you're talking about winning titles and being your number one, um, you need something that's consistent, such as 
being able to get to the free throw line and to the rack with that mid-range game. Um, being able not only to change the game on offense, but on defense. And not that Tyler will ever be that, but back to your point of a guy like Jimmy Butler being exactly that. So, I mean, it's just something to think about, man. Um, Tyler still has a lot of growth that he can do. So this isn't the end-all, be-all, like, okay, we're, like, saying this is Tyler's last stage or whatever, whatever. But I think that at this moment, you really have to step back and take a look at it when we're having a conversation about Tyler and realize that there's still some improvement to be done. Um, I'm going to stand on my laurels and say I still think he's best suited coming off the bench or not only help the Miami Heat, um, but it will help him because he can continue to hone those skills and kill second units. But like I said, it'll help the Miami Heat overall because it just spreads the scoring out. It gives them firepower at all levels, and they become a more consistently balanced and fluid team. But, you know, we're going to have to see how things evolve, especially once Jimmy can consistently get back into the lineup. Um, Oh, my God, another segue. But you have any more thoughts on Tyler? Just going back to what you said is like, again, I, I'm not giving up on him. I know when I say like to get to the point, blah, 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 blah. But the reason that I get on him like this is because pause is because I know he can be better. I know he can get better quality shots. Right. I know he could do these things. But at the end of the day, he's not. And he's relying on tough shots and the physicality sometimes bothers him. And that's always been one of my things. And especially when I mean, obviously, when I look at the East, I'm honestly not worried about anybody. <laughs> if I'm with, I know that's a whole different conversation, but like when it comes to playing that team up there in Beantown, that physicality is going to get to them because I've seen it get to them before, right? Other teams, they don't really have that same physicality, but I think if any team did in the East, it's definitely the Boston Celtics, right? So to me, again, I, I'm not going to give up on Tyler. I still believe in him. I don't think he's ever going to be Devin Booker like the Heat probably told him once upon a time. But I do think he's a good player, still quality player. It's just about, again, what are you doing to make life easier, not just for yourself as a shot creator, but for your teammates as well? It's funny you say you don't think it's going to be Devin Booker. I mean, which I could use for a segue to enter our last topic. But it's like, do you really want him to be Devin Booker? Because at this point, Devin Booker got some soul searching to do, too. I mean, this Agreed. isn't a science podcast, but. Um, you know, he got some soul searching to do too. I mean, you the franchise and can go out and get 70 at will. Got KD, got, you know, I know Bill ain't healthy, but still, like, y'all should be better. Like, why you ain't winning? Like, at, at what point do we start looking? Anyway, anyway, that's not you know that. Okay. We were talking about um a guy and Jimmy Butler, right? Um, who we feel still gets it done the right way, right? There are a lot of people out there that, you know, tend to think that Jimmy Butler is hurt too much or that Jimmy Butler chills too much or that Jimmy Butler doesn't care enough or, you know, all of this, whatever, however you want to articulate it. They have a problem with Jimmy Butler's perceived level of care in some of these regular season moments. And I'm not saying regular season to emphasize that it's unimportant. I'm just trying to make sure that I paint the picture correctly. Um, and with that, you're starting to see these sentiments bubble up to the top. And not that it's something that 
we need to concern ourselves with. But it's just something you see all over. So that led me to want to ask you this question, Kev. How do you feel about Jimmy Butler's absences? How do you feel about Jimmy Butler's level of effort when he is in there? Um, and based on your answer, why do you think it is that way? Jimmy being out the lineup for, I'll say he averages probably about 60 games per year, right? Out of 81, right? So he, he misses 20 games a season, essentially. I'm not mad at that because my biggest thing is, one, he's up in age, right? Two, we've already put so much on his plate when it comes to upholding the standards of this franchise, and he's lived up to every single one of them. For most people, if we go back to when we first traded for him, they didn't even think he would touch these heights, let's be honest, right? Two, three, as I told you before, when it's wartime, when it's playoff time, Jimmy Butler is front line every single time. So I never worry about that. I never, outside of that one Fugazi year in 2021 after the bubble when we got swept by Milwaukee, that was the only year. And, of course, everybody was exhausted. They were just fried. They had no effort or energy to give. I know it was whatever. We don't even talk about that. We know it wasn't It wasn't what it seemed at that time, and it still isn't. Okay, all those, right? And my last thing. With him being out, what people don't understand is you have to think bigger picture, right? In some situation, I say in most situations, you guys, and when I say you guys, I'm talking about all Heat Nation out there. You have to take yourself outside of your own perspective and try and put your shoes into Spo's shoes. Spo's not thinking, oh, my best player is out tonight, whatever. He's probably dealt with that a thousand times going back to LeBron and D-Wade. Spo is thinking, how do I get the most out of this current rotation that I have tonight in this game? And with that, you get more opportunities for Jaime Jaquez. You get more shots for Tyler and Duncan. Bam has to be a little bit more, more assertive. Like last night, Kyle Lowry has to be more assertive, right? You get to put Josh Richardson in different lineups and things like that. You get to experiment. That's what it's all about because come playoff time, yes, you're going to have Jimmy because he does a great job of not fouling, but it's good to establish and get confidence in other guys. And when it comes to Jimmy's play in the regular season, this is one of my favorite myths I love to debunk because everybody says, oh, Jimmy doesn't care about the regular season. I'm calling BS on that just because when you look at it, first of all, I know 20 points today isn't 20 points per game what it was in, say, 2010 or 11. But at the same time, even with that, you're not just walking into averaging 20 points in today's NBA. I don't care what anybody says. I know, again, the, the scoring is way higher. People say defense is non-existent, which I don't believe is true whatsoever. But Jimmy's still averaging 20-plus points per game. And I think he's averaging like five rebounds and five assists on the regular, right? And so when I'm saying that is to say, just like in the playoffs, he elevates guys' confidence in the regular season because he knows, we all know, right? Let's sit here and really think about it. If Jimmy Butler wanted to average 25-plus points per game, he could easily do that on any given night. We see random games here and there. He'll pop off for 30 in the regular season, right, just because he wants to. But he knows at the end of the day, is that really making his team better? No. What makes his team better is when he gets other guys good shots. That's why, again, you go back to last year against the Celtics. That's why Caleb Martin played out of his mind, right? Because Jimmy has an unselfishness about him knowing that, hey, I'm going to probably need this dude come April, May, March, because I, or June, because I know this dude has a step up. He's going to have to take and make some of those big-time shots. So in instances in the regular season when it's clutch time and you see Jimmy pass out of the shot, to Tyler, to Bam, to whoever, he knows, hey, if this guy hits the shot, his confidence is only going to go up. And even if he misses it, I'm going to tell him every single day of the week, you're going to get that shot again and you're going to make it the next time. 
He did it in every single stop that he was at, right? And so to me, I hate when people try and say that he doesn't care about the regular season because he does. He just doesn't. He's not as aggressive as a scorer in the regular season as compared to the playoffs. In the playoffs, he knows we need him to be the scorer because he's our best scorer. Nobody's denying or doubting that. But in the regular season, he knows that I got to get Bam more touches. I got to get Tyler some more touches. I got to get Haywood some more touches, right? Because those things matter. You look at some of your favorite players in the league, what they do is they make their teammates' life easier, but they don't make their teammates better. Jimmy makes his teammates better, and he helps elevate their confidence. And the one thing that we all know you need to have to be successful as an athlete is confidence. And Jimmy, Spo, Bam, they do a great job of spreading out that confidence to other guys. That's why you see 55 playing out of his mind because he knows his teammates want him to shoot as much as possible, not just threes, whatever he feels comfortable taking. Same thing with Tyler. Even though I don't agree with it all the time, he still has that confidence and elevation from his teammates to keep shooting them shots, even if he misses five in a row. So I say all that to just say, get off Jimmy Butler's back. He's literally lived up to every single expectation we put onto him, and he comes through every single time. Playoffs, regular season, whenever you need Jimmy Butler, he's always been there for us. So let's stop acting like we're crazy, and I'm done. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – I don't. I, I, there's nothing else for me to say. I mean, Kev, what, what you want me to say, Kev? What you want me to say? Point blank, period. I think this is the way I could tie a button around that, tie a ball around that. Um, Jimmy Butler's the ultimate give you whatever needs to be given guy. If he need him to play defense and stay in the passing lanes and let everybody else get the buckets, he'll do that. If you need him to get 12 points, seven assists, and 12 rebounds, that's what he'll do. I mean, he's the ultimate give you what you need guy. And ultimately, in the playoffs, that means you need him to be your leading scorer on most nights. And that's what he does. Um, as long as he can make it through the regular season healthy and whole and with at least 95% health, you know, Miami Heat have a sustainable record in that, you know, last year, notwithstanding, they have a top four-ish or so record, five-ish, um, enough to, you know, have a comfortable navigation throughout the playoffs. Of course, every game or every series is going to be somewhat tough, you hope, but you know, as long as they can put themselves in a decent position for the playoffs, I, I don't need Jimmy to be like a regular season record chaser. I mean, I think that harkens back to some of the other guys that we've talked about, you know? So, listen, man, I was going to – you got something else you wanted to say about that? Yeah, I just want to say this real quick. And this is, of course, my last thing. But ever since we acquired Jimmy, he's literally played every single position, right? The first year we got him, he was really our point guard. We let Dragic be our shooting guard, and yeah, we had Duncan there too, but he was really the, the facilitator for that team, if we're being honest, in that in that run to the bubble, right? Year after that, he was kind of like a mix of a – he was really a, a four, and that's why they went and drafted Precious, but he's literally played one, two, three, and four since he's been in Miami. So I'm like, again, giving it back to you, Jimmy Butler has done every single thing that we could ask of him. For him to be up in age and miss 20 games – you really think I'm tripping on that? If we, if y'all believe in Tyler Hero as much as y'all think y'all do, y'all wouldn't care about Jimmy Butler missing games. That's really, if we can, if we really want to talk about it. But that's another conversation for another day. But please just respect Jimmy Butler, man. That's all I gotta say because I, I hate when people talk crazy about him because in April y'all gonna be praising God that he's on your team and not on the opposition. Again, more facts that I need not follow up. Um, 
quickly, we'll touch on this really quick before we get to the Suns game. Um, not official reports, at least, you know, hasn't been bubbling around the Wojas and the Shams. But we're just going to throw a couple of scenarios out there, Kev, and see what you think about it. Um, there's been talk of a potential, you know, acquisition. If the Miami Heat were to make a couple of deals, we're looking at deals um, specifically here. You know, I only make him one. There's one on Twitter, uh, Alex Caruso. Would you trade Duncan Robinson, Kayla Martin, Nikola Jovic, and the first round pick to get Alex Caruso? Absolutely not. No way in hell would I do that. No, it's not a chance. Why would I do that? Like, and again, Caruso will be a great addition to this team, right? He's kind of what you need. He's a hell of a defensive player. He's developed his offensive package a lot. Yeah, I guess he's a true point guard if you if that's what you think is a true point guard. But at the end of the day, why are we so quick to try and ruin the vibes of this team? Has this team been that bad or am I missing something? Are we not top five in the East right now or am I completely just zoned out? I apologize. I want to make sure I correct that. Not Duncan Robinson. They said they may not have to trade Duncan Robinson. The suggested trade is Caleb Martin, Nikola Jovic, and a first-round pick. Just want to correct myself there. I'm still saying no, just because I firmly believe in twin and what Jovic has shown me. I mean, he's only going to get better, in my opinion, right? And especially we've seen Jimmy has brought him under his wing, took him under his wing, and he's kind of been running with that recently. So I'm not doing that, man. I'm not. Again, why? What? What is this team showing you that makes you want them to break up right now? We have. I think that team, was my ultimate point too, bro. And and two. They haven't even been fully healthy this year so far. They, they have not been fully healthy. That's that's my biggest caveat with this team is that I, I'd rather deal with the injuries right now, especially when it comes to Jimmy, because come playoff time, that's when you need your guys healthy more than ever, right? Obviously, you don't want injuries to happen, but you know, too, it's part of the game. Everybody gets hurt, right? It's just, it's just how it is. So I'd rather go through these injuries now than later. And that's my biggest thing is we haven't even seen this team fully healthy. We haven't had Haywood. Caleb, Jimmy, Tyler was out for a little bit. Bam was out for a little bit. No, like these guys, I'd be surprised if Jimmy, Bam, and Tyler played more than 15 games together. They might Not have. I could be wrong. Time. Not all at the same time. My point exactly. So I don't I don't get people that just sit on that trade machine all day. Like I kind of do, but at the same time, this team hasn't been healthy, though. We have not seen the best of this team. Please believe that. Absolutely, man. I agree with you. Um and I, and I just go back to that whole thing, man. Um, and, again, it wasn't Duncan Robinson. Like I said, the, the, the trade package was Caleb, Nikola Jovic, and a first-round pick. I just want to correct myself there. I read it wrong. I would have disagreed either way. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, me messing up right there doesn't really matter. But, like I said, whether it's Duncan Robinson in there or not, I still think that's too much. I'm not – listen – I like Caruso. Caruso's a good player. If you can get him for, you know, without having to give up the farm or even a whole lot of a whole lot, then I'm with it. But I'm not as concerned with the point of attack defense as everybody else is. Um, that seems to be a very trendy thing to say right now, and I'm not saying they're wrong. But you see a lot of people mentioning the point of attack defense. Um, and I want to watch more so I can 
better express or illustrate, you know, my theory as to why I'm not worried about it because I can see it and I can almost explain it, but I don't want to go into it, you know, for lack of better terms, half and, you know what I'm saying, it don't come off right. But at the same time, give me a little while, another week or so, and I'll be able to explain it. I'm not as concerned as everybody else. How you feel on that situation? Yeah, the defense hasn't been great. If I'm being honest, like it's been okay. It hasn't been terrible either, but it hasn't been like elite as we've seen in the past few seasons. But again, it goes back to what I literally just said. We haven't seen these dudes fully healthy yet. So how could we even be the full judge of that, right? You're playing guys in different positions. You're asking them to do different things. So just give it time, right? When Jimmy comes back, I assume you're going to get Caleb back eventually down the line. Hey, well, I know his – what he hurt his jaw, I think, in that Utah game. Or like, you got concussed or something like that. So I expect him to be back around two eventually. So just – that's my thing. It's, it's, it's tough to judge a team when you haven't seen them fully healthy. Like, how can you make a real analysis of this team? You, the best part about it is, again, they're still sitting top five in the East. That should tell you everything you need to know about them right there. If they're fully healthy, they're probably easily top three in my opinion, right? So, I mean – I get it, but at the same time, I can't. It's I can't judge this team right now, honestly. Like, all I can all I can say is that they are the deepest team, in my opinion, in the Jimmy era. And I think more than anything, they have much more offensive versatility than they've had in the past few years because of Jaime, because of Duncan putting the ball on the floor, because Bam is better as a scorer, and obviously you have other guys. But I think the defense will come around eventually, especially come playoff time. Absolutely, man. I totally agree. I mean, when you look at um, this Miami Heat team, traditionally, um, they are built off the backbone of their defense. And I just have to have faith that Spoke will get them there again, especially with the amount of depth. I think we talked about it. It's waves and waves and waves, and they can overwhelm you. And I can see that being the case on both sides. And if you look at that Lakers game, how they were able to not only force turnovers, but hold them to one shot on a lot of occasions, as you mentioned, um, that's an example of how, you know, whether they have to throw it out there at you, you know, one possession man, next possession zone, one unit running a lot of zone, next unit run a lot of man. I think that in waves and waves and waves on both sides of the ball, eventually they'll be the they'll be able to overwhelm you because that's what, you know, this Miami Heat team typically does on defense as well, um, as when they can get the three ball going on offense. Ooh, speaking of getting the three ball going on offense, speaking of guys being injured, um, the Phoenix Suns finally got Bradley Bill in the lineup and got through a whole game. He may have even played a couple of games by now. But the Miami Heat will be headed into Phoenix on Friday. Um, again, we're coming at you live on Thursday evening. The Miami Heat will be headed into Phoenix on Friday to face off against a Suns team that you presume will be whole um, with Bradley Bill coming back off his most recent ankle situation. The Heat dodged that bullet, didn't they? But, um, you know, how are you feeling about one quickly on this Phoenix Suns team, Kev? And two, what do you think the Miami Heat most have to do to win this game? And do you think they'll win this game? More than anything, I think you got to take advantage of any type of I don't even say that. I think you just have to attack them because they have no defensive intensity whatsoever. And that's the biggest issue. Yeah, they have all the scoring in the world. They got three dudes that can all pop off if together combined for 70 goddamn points in the game if they want to, right? But at the end of the day, they can't guard a soul. They just can't. And 
I had high expectations for this team, but I also know just like the Clippers with James Harden, like when you integrate, just like when we had Bron at first, when you integrate a big time star like that, it takes time. You got to learn how to develop chemistry. You got to get the right rotations. You got to understand which guys need to play, which guys don't need to play. You got you got to understand which guys need shots, which guys don't need shots. And for them, I mean, I feel like some of their weaknesses, defensively especially, those are going to be hard to pull through. I just don't think they're going to be able to make it with that. And so offensively, again, you don't worry about that because they're going to be fine. They'll figure it out eventually, even though they could use a true point guard. But whatever, it's probably not going to happen because their budget is tied in between those three dudes. But at the end of the day, they're coming off a loss versus the Clippers, just like we lost to the Clippers as well. So they're going to be hungry to come back home and win. And with that, play your game, most importantly for the Heat, play your game, be diabolical about whatever you're doing. I'm sure Spo is going to play a little bit more zone too, just to throw off their rhythm and timing and put them in tough spots and get them to take shots that they're, not, that they're not accustomed to taking, excuse me. And that's really all it is to me. Rebound, get out in transition here and there and just make them pay. You're going to have a whole gang of offensive opportunities where you're going to have mismatches all across the floor, right? And D-Book, KD, and Brad Bill, they're all solid defenders. I think KD's probably earlier he was a lot better than what he is now of course he's kind of took a step back because of age but they're all like whatever defenders you can like we should we should be seeing food if i'm being honest especially the actions that we run off the ball we should be taking full advantage of them from duncan's cutting to bam rolling whatever the case may be we need to take full advantage of them because defensively they can't guard nobody they don't have communication they don't have chemistry they don't have anybody that's really a dog like that which is the biggest issue on that side of the floor and so to me again it just Simply put, the Heat just got to play their brand of basketball. They should get this win and finish the claw this West Coast trip. Oh, I mean, Kev just told you that the Miami Heat will go ahead and, like, you know, show these boys how to play basketball again. I, I Look, I agree with you, man. Um, nobody on that defensive unit, as far as the individual player, is scaring me from a shutdown perspective. However... You know, they do have athleticism on that side of the ball, even though it isn't name recognized athleticism. We think about guys like Metsu who are getting minutes. You think about Okoji, Okogi who's getting minutes. Um, you know, you think about, of course, Bill, where he can stay whole book, and, of course, KD. They do have athletes. So if you get out, like you said, and play their game, which is a track meet style game, for guys that can put the ball in the hoop like that, that's going to lead to a bad situation for the Miami Heat. But if the Miami Heat, like you said, can play good defense, and minimize the Suns' possessions, then the Miami can easily walk out here with a win. I mean, it sounds more simpler than it is, and I know we're looking at this Phoenix Suns roster and the star power that they have, so to say easily might sound like a stretch, but like you also said, Kev, just attack them because they aren't necessarily behemoths on defense. Um, and that's pretty much how that should go for me. Um, what do you think the ending score going to be? I'm going to go... 114 to 106 heat win. Okay, 114, 106. Mm, I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go 108-98 heat win. I like that too. Yeah, man. You know, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily know what to expect from Bradley Bill game to game right now because he didn't really do anything in his first game back, hasn't really went crazy. I wonder how they're all going to get touches because it's different when you're talking about three guys who have all relied on putting the ball in the hoop to be that superpower. It's like on any other team, Book's the number one, 
and KD is the number one. Yep. You got two certain number ones, right? It's like in any other situation, you could be like, all right, well, he might be the two in most places, so we'll make him the two. But it's like book and KD ones. But then you got Bradley Bill, who also need to rock. But then, like you said, they don't have a point guard. So now what you going to make Brad try to be the point guard? It's it's a whole lot going on over there, man. It's just it's, it's, it's a very fascinating situation. Hope the Miami Heat can go in and steal a win. Well, get a win, take a win. They got to steal one from that team. Um, and let them figure that out, man. Anything else you want to say before we begin to wrap it up here, Kev? Yeah, real quick. I'm just I'm curious in the possessions that we do play man on man defensively. I'm curious to see who they throw Jaime on because one thing I've always loved about Spo is that when he throws a rookie into the fire, he throws a rookie into the fire, right? Like when Tyler Hero was a rookie, he had him guarding all the best players, Tatum, all them guys, right? And at the end of the day, it only gets you better because you have no other choice but to get better and, and have some pride in your craft on the defensive end of the floor. So I'm very curious to see, and again, in those possessions that we do play, man, because I know zone will be implemented in some possessions. I'm curious to see who Jaime guards. More than likely might be KD, but I have a weird suspicion it's probably going to be D-Book, too. So I'll definitely be looking out for that matchup, too. You can't say more than likely, then I have a weird suspicion. You can't say both of those. But I was going to say, I think you're going to see him a lot on both of those guys, specifically, yeah. and a lot in situations where it calls for the switch between those two. I'll think mm-hmm. you'll see Spo actively try to get Jaime be the secondary defender so he can draw the guy that's the role guy or the pop guy. And a lot of times, whether that's the 1-4 or the 4-1, you know what I mean? That can be KD or Book. But I think you'll see Jaime sticking a lot with that second guy because I think Jaime's size, ayo, his girth, and his physicality give you more going to the rim just as well as it does along the perimeter. I mean, Jaime's a, I mean that was something I had planned to talk about too, but we're getting a little you know, long into the show here. But Jaime's a player, man. There's nothing he don't do wrong. Um, I mean, not that there's nothing he don't do wrong. There's nothing that he doesn't do well. He does everything well. Um, he's not little. And that goes from a size and from a physical makeup perspective. He has, you know, hey, yo, good shoulders. Like, you don't think he going to break every time. Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who has broad shoulders, but they kind of like angle and slouch. So it kind of worry you a little bit. But Jaime, like, he looked like a field goal post. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, this dude, and you see it in his game, whether that's his post game, whether that's the way he can go to the rim already with physicality and take contact. Um, He's often looking for the contact. So you just really appreciate that. Um, But like I said about him, man, I think you'll see a lot of him on the secondary defender. Um, And I expect big things from the young man. Um, I think the Miami Heat go in there and get a win to, you know, Finish off this week nicely, man. Just continue winning games. Anything else again you want to say before we close out, Kev? Because we went into a little bit more of a spew there. Nah, you you wrapped it up perfectly. Oh man, look, I tried, brother. Um, listen, 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 listen. The first one of the year, we got it out the way, man. Um, we're gonna be back soon. We're gonna have Kev on as much as he wanna be on. Believe that. Like I said, um, we just the only thing we regret about the first one of the year is that we couldn't have Beam on, but. You already know, man. Um, we appreciate you for lending your ear to this sound. That's Kev. Follow him at Kevu Mufasa 7. Follow me at K said K. And I'm K. I'm K. Follow me. And this has been the Bitch Game Breakdown. Hit the button, Joe. Peace.